0: Welcome to each of you. Second Chronicles chapter 27 this evening, our journey through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them and get their attention. They'll put a Bible into your hands and you can read along with us tonight as well as listening to the study of the word of God. As We come to chapter 27. We are leaving uh, one of the Uh, Great kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, king by the name of Uzziah, who uh, did had a wonderful, wonderful legacy, uh, marred it out of pride late in his life and ministry in his reign. And then he was followed, we're told in uh, verse 23, by his son named Jotham, who reigned in his place. And Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. I mean, that's, well, I guess if you're 21, that's not that young. But when you're 56, 25 is pretty early to become a king. (laughs) That's what I am. So 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was uh, Jerushah. The daughter of Zadok, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, with the exception that he did not enter into the temple of the Lord, but the people still acted corruptly. So he did everything that uh, he he emulated his uh, uh, father. In all that his father had done that was right. And then he avoided uh, the pride that uh, his father gave uh, way too late in life. And so he imitated his father in his father's virtues and uh, did not follow him in his faults. And that's a good counsel for all children. <laughs> uh, you know, they talk about families being dysfunctional. There's a there have. Every family's been dysfunctional since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And uh, so there are no perfect families, no perfect parents. Uh, There are some that approach it a little more closely than others. But um, all of us, uh, whatever our example's been given to us as children by our parents, uh, that's what we can safely do is emulate them and the good things that we can learn from them and then the things where... Uh, They fell short then to uh, not follow them there. Now, we're told here that the people still uh, acted, uh, still the people acted corruptly despite him being a good king and doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so here we have a righteous king whose uh, righteous example um, is not being effective in either shaming the general population into righteousness or uh, creating a thirst in their life to become righteous. So he is a king. He's doing all that he can do between him and the Lord. Uh, But the people of the nation, by and large, they didn't share his uh, love for the Lord or his uh, zeal for the Lord. And this note is made concerning uh, this probably in order to kind of Uh, exonerate Jotham for any kind of blame related uh, to this. You can go into Isaiah chapter six um, because Isaiah is ministering heavily in this period of uh, Judah's history and read about the sins that prevailed uh, in the land at that time, what characterized the general population. Now, this is fascinating to me because every once in a while um, I experience an experience that is fairly frustrating Uh, For me, it doesn't put me in the flesh because it shouldn't do that, but it is frustrating for me. And sometimes I'll get trapped in a room where somebody is maybe teaching or sharing uh, something or um, sometimes I'll be listening to a sermon or somebody begin uh, writes an article on it where they begin to bash the church. They begin to bash Christians for the condition of the world. And the idea is that if the church was really what the church needs to be, uh, then the culture wouldn't be what it is. Uh, It's because the church isn't being what the church is supposed to be, that we've got legalized abortion in the nation and bordering now on legalizing of homosexual marriage and uh, the the, uh, free fall of morality within the culture. And so I sit there and I listen to them, and now they're in this kind of, Uh, Just a very, very simplistic way of looking at things. Uh, All of the problems of the world and the decisions of the ungodly are being heaped on my shoulders as a Christian because somehow I'm not and we're not being what it is that we're supposed to be. That's not our responsibility. We can be judged for our effectiveness and, and our being faithful to what God has called us to do by what we do with what happens within professing Christianity within the church. But the fact that the world has the freedom to choose to follow God or not follow God, that's not my responsibility. the fact of the matter is the Bible teaches and even as Jesus taught that as the days near his return for the rapture of the church, Things are going to get worse and worse, not just on an economic level and in military and all this kind of thing, but morally and spiritually. It doesn't mean that we look and we just give up and say, all right, I'm not going to live like Christ and I'm not going to be salt and I'm not going to be light. We still need to be fully the influence that God has called us to be. But there's no guarantee we will turn a culture around because they have the freedom to choose to do What they want. And so here you have a godly king who is being and doing exceedingly. And as we'll see in a moment, he's unique among all of the kings of Judah in his goodness. And and yet the culture is not interested in following him in that. And there's not a lot that he can do about that, because what happens in an individual's heart happens between them, them and God. So we're told in verse three. A kind of a overview of his building projects that he endeavored, even his building projects uh, illustrated his love for the Lord. We're told that he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. And so the upper gate of the temple, the north gate of the temple uh, was uh, rebuilt, probably to encourage the worship of the Lord there at the temple. And uh, and the wall of Ophel encompassed the uh, old city of Jerusalem. So he, he began to do some defense projects related to Jerusalem. And we're told that he built cities in the mountains of Judah and also in the forest. He built fortresses and towers. And so he was very much into national defense and national security at that time and, and strengthening that within the land. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and he defeated them. And the people of Ammon, as a tribute and as a result of the defeat, they gave him in that one year, uh, in that year, 100 talents uh, of silver. Uh, 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this uh, to him in the second and third years uh, also. And so evidently the Ammonites had uh, slacked off in their paying of tribute following the death of of uh, his father Uzziah, when there would be a shift, of course, in the kings, uh, they would then test the metal of the coming in king to see whether he he would uh, buckle down on them if they stopped uh, giving their uh, tribute to to Israel. And he came in and he would, and he brought him up short. He wasn't going to put up with that. Uh, in other words, Judah did not become weaker because he's now the king that followed his great father. And uh, and so. Uh, the the result was they continued the tribute for the second and third years also and then it appears that that tribute diminished or went away altogether but not on the not on the basis of rebellion but on the basis of principle and uh, Jotham's decision verse 6 we have the secret to the greatness of this man's life and so Jotham became mighty because and so because is a reason word we want to know why the secret to this man's greatness because he prepared his ways before uh, the Lord. And so this was the secret to his success. He uh, prepared his ways before the Lord and the idea is that he considered God in all that he did. When he made plans Uh, on a daily basis he evidently consulted the Lord in those plans so a man of prayer a man that realized that he held the position of a king not in order to accomplish whatever he wanted to do with that title and with that power but that it was God's position that he happened to hold and that God was going to instruct him on what it is that he was supposed to do and so his days were just though he was the king his days were just basically made up of saying God what do you want to have done in this situation and that situation, uh, getting the mind of the Lord related to that and doing that. And the beautiful thing about it is that that works for whether a person is a king or a small business owner or a student or a mom or a dad or anything. This works for everyone. One of the fascinating things is of all of the kings, and I think there were just eight kings in the southern kingdom of Judah, of whom Uh, It was said that they did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, Jotham here is the only one that did not mar his testimony in some way. There's nothing negative said about him that he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord except or we find out him falling or slipping in some way a little bit later uh, in his life. And uh, but there is nothing negative that said didn't mar his testimony in any way. He just sought the Lord quietly when about the Lord's business. And uh, as Psalm 37 puts it, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights. In his way, Psalm 37, verse 23, and that's the kind of life that he lived. One of the things that I like about Jotham, and it's a great encouragement to me, and I think really to most of us as Christians, is if you were to ask the average Christian uh, who would would the average Christian would be a very uh, well versed Christian to know uh, more than two kings uh, of Israel, more than David and Solomon. But if you were to take someone who is well versed in the Bible and uh, you were to ask him to name the greatest kings uh, of the southern kingdom of Judah or or of Israel, I doubt very many people would mention Jotham. But I'll tell you right here in this little chapter, he is really given great prominence. I loved the Lord, quietly walked with God, quietly sought God, made decisions, and then God honored the decisions that he had given to him. And I think he's an encouragement to um, just that kind of quiet, anonymous ministry. And most ministry that's done in the world isn't, they don't send out the TV crews to show what's being done. Most of us serve just very, very quietly. But very, very powerfully in what God has called us to do. And that's what this man uh, did. And his his name is gold in the scriptures. And I hope that tonight in looking at him here in chapter 27, we've uh, made uh, each of us have made a, a new friend in him. Uh, And in getting to know this brother in the scriptures. Now, the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways. Indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And he was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And so Jotham rested with his fathers. They buried him in the city of David. And then Ahaz, uh, his son, then uh, followed him As the king of Judah and under Ahaz, Judah literally plunges to what was up to that point an all time low. This is a terrible, uh, terrible human being. Ahaz was, uh, 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. And so the encapsulation of his life, he didn't do that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. There are going to be a few more kings, and then we'll be done with that statement. But again, I just want to remind us of how easily God is able by his Holy Spirit to encapsulate a life as successful or as unsuccessful. It is he or she either did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and thus their life is a success. Or they, we, they do not do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord and their life is, is not a success. And so this was his, his condition Uh, Here And we're told that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, all of the kings of Israel. Every one of them was lousy and wicked and ungodly. And beyond that, making the kings of Israel his models, he made molded images uh, for the Baal. So he reintroduced Baal worship into the southern kingdom of Judah in a big way. Now, this is a this is a man who is just sinning so strongly against privilege. And I think that we need to be aware of that. Here is a man who has had as a grandfather one of the greatest kings in Judah's history, uh, Uzziah. And then he had as a father, Jotham, this tremendous, he's got two generations of godliness that he is following and who does he make his examples in life, but the kings of Israel, just a terrible, terrible decision. The fact of the matter is related to our lives. If we've been raised with a godly heritage, we should always exceed our parents godliness. We should always look to go deeper in our relationship than the generation previous to us. It's a tremendous advantage to have a godly heritage. So an awful lot of the world that could wish that they could have that the safety, the beauty, the love, the the protection and, and, and the safe boundaries of a home like that to be raised with a living hope in their life and to know what's the right way and just the broadest array of of subjects in life and not to head out into life at 18 or 21 and trying to f- still be figuring out what right and wrong is and what are the right paths to take in life and you end up becoming a casualty. Uh, In two years, because you didn't have that foundation, a godly heritage is a very valuable thing, and it shouldn't just be thrown away to follow some stupid Lady Gaga, whoever's the, you know, model of the world today. I'm glad that her record sales are absolutely plunging. Um, But, you know, and I just use her. You could pick on so many, but but to throw that away for that. To throw that heritage away, to follow the kings of Israel, man, that's just a dumb thing to do. And yet he did it. And lots of people do it to this day. And I think it's just good to stop and remember. I'm not trying to, you know, heap condemnation on someone that has has done that and now you're getting back going with the Lord. But it is something to just stop and step back and to realize that. My parentage, my grandparents, anyone, anyone that walks with God faithfully in this world pays a price to do it, whether you see the price or you don't see the price doesn't matter. Everyone pays a price in this world to walk faithfully with the Lord. And though we may never see or understand or have explained to us the price that our parents or our grandparents paid in order to pass this heritage on to us, the price was paid. It's a valuable thing and and should be viewed as valuable and not thrown away. And he throws it away like it's absolutely uh, nothing. And then he went on and he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And uh, and he burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so he reintroduced into the land right there in the area of Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom. You go to Israel uh, today in Jerusalem, and on a couple of the days, the bus goes right through the Valley of Hinnom. And that's where this practice took place. He reintroduced the worship of Molech. In the land and with Molech, what they would do is they would uh, take these great stone kind of images or metal and it would be this uh, image that would be there with his hands out like this and a great opening of his mouth right here and a great fire raging down below until the metal is molten hot and they would simply roll their babies down uh, into the arms of the image and into the fire in order to appease uh, this God of Molech. And so this king goes from what he knows to be true and to be right. And he goes to this kind of, of a length. And not only does he re, it, it, does he introduce the worship of Molech into the land of, of Judah, but then he practiced it by offering uh, one of his sons uh, to to Molech, as we're told here in the passage in an attempt to gain the favor of this Uh, false God. And so it's the same old thing that's going on even today. Children being sacrificed to the crazy nutty gods of their parents. And uh, and and so as old as uh, human history and then he sacrificed and he burned incense on the high places on the hills and under every green tree. So he then went further and he literally filled the whole land of Israel with idolatry so the worship of baal they would always worship on mountaintops of the highest point of the land they liked to worship under evergreen trees and we're talking about absolutely gross sexual immorality associated with these practices but because the trees were evergreen they viewed those as a symbol of fertility so they would engage in these fertility rites and sexual immorality with the idea that Somehow it would make their crops fertile or their family fertile and this kind of thing. And this guy just spreads we're, you know, we're not talking about, you know, some obscure part of the world. He's doing this among God's people. Uh, you know, the great hope of the world. These are the people that God is going to bring the Messiah into the world through, and He just treats the whole thing as nothing and puts it all in jeopardy. And therefore, the Lord His God delivered him into the hand of the King of Syria. So the Lord began to judge Judah and to judge Ahaz because of this sin with a series of military defeats. And so the Lord His God delivered him into the hand of the King of Syria they defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and they brought those captives to Damascus and then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, he makes the northern kingdom of Israel his heroes and then this is what the devil does to you, stabs you in the back the first chance he gets so the king of Israel then defeated him with a great slaughter for Pekah the son of Remaliah he killed 120,000 in Judah in one day. Now that's a bad battle. I mean, those are numbers that you just almost can't get can't get in your mind. We're not even talking about wounded. Hundred and twenty thousand killed all in one day. All valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, he killed uh, Mahasea the son, king's son. Uh, as we come, the king over the house, and Lycanah, who was second to the king. And the people of Israel carried away captive, uh, Of their brethren, 200,000 women, sons and daughters. So they just slaughtered all of these men in battle. And and, uh, so I shouldn't say slaughter was a slaughter in that it was a one sided victory, but it was a battle. And then they just simply took all of the surviving uh, women, the sons and daughters, and they took them away. Also, much spoil with them, and they brought them Uh, the spoil to Samaria up to the north of Israel. This was a violation of the law of Moses because the law of Moses said you were not to take. They were not to take their brethren into captivity or into slavery in this kind of way. So as they're bringing these captives back north to Israel, a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. Can't wait to meet Oded one day because he's one of the bravest men in the whole Bible. So, number one, to be a prophet in Israel at the time. Israel was one spiritually depraved place. And he continued to walk with God. Imagine that, just getting up every day and saying, God, if you want to say something through me, I'm open to it. They'll probably kill me. (laughs) That's the environment that he was in. But that, number one, to keep himself pure and usable in an absolutely terrible culture. And and then desiring to be used by God. And so uh, he then went out before that army as it was returning. These people are still armed. And he said to them, look, that's quite a start, isn't it? Speak to the commanders. Now, look here. Because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand. You didn't get that victory on your own. But you have killed them in a rage that reaches up into heaven. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves. But are you not guilty before the Lord your God? Again, a violation of the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 25. And so he confronts them with the guilt of what it is that they've done. And he said, now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So he's basically telling them they need to return the spoils that they consider to be the legitimate spoils of their victory over the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. And so he comes out and he just in a very sanctified way, but he gets up uh, in their face and and lets them have it and he rebukes them for their excessive force or their excessive cruelty in their defeat of uh, the southern kingdom of judah the lord had intended to discipline judah and uh, and to uh, get them to step back and 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 become righteous he wanted to very firmly correct them but his intent was not to destroy them and, and uh, so apparently the children of israel they enjoyed uh, this work that had been given to them a little bit too much, and they had gone on to kill, kill in this hundred and twenty thousand dead. They killed them with a rage. In other words, they had probably exceeded, doubtless exceeded what God had intended them uh, to do. It's a good lesson for us. We don't. God doesn't really call us to go out to military battle, certainly as Christians, but. Every once in a while, the Lord will deliver someone perhaps into our hands in order to that they might be disciplined because of their willful disobedience. And it's good for us to remember that when he brings that, he uses us to discipline or even rebuke a person that we can be absolutely firm in that rebuke, but we're never supposed to move into rage. Once we move into rage towards someone, now we've left the control of the spirit because that's a mark of the flesh. James says that concerning anger, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So soon as I'm in any activity and I am enraged related to something or I'm filled with wrath and now I think I'm going to go do something on God's behalf, time to really step back. And to realize that rage will call us to exceed whatever God is wanting us to do in the situation. And we're now going to bring judgment upon ourselves. And so the importance of uh, of it, when God uses us to come along, someone who is. Uh, Sinning. I like it in Galatians chapter six, verse one. He gives us the positive instruction. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that is under the control of the spirit, you restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing He deceives himself. And so that rage, very dangerous to God's work, and they had given uh, place to it. Well, it's interesting. You'd have thought they'd have taken his head off. But then some of the heads of the children of uh, Ephraim, not the military leaders, but civil leaders, the heads of of strong family tribes there in the north, uh, 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 Azariah, uh, well, here they are. They're listed right there and you can pronounce them in your own head. They stood up against those who came from war. So here you have the northern kingdom of Israel acting more righteous and, and being more open to the rebuke of God than uh, than, uh, the, than the southern kingdom of Judah was. And uh, God was speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah through Isaiah, through all of this uh, period of time. And so uh, they recognized this is legitimate. We did do wrong. We need to repent and make this right. And so they said to the military commanders, you shall not bring the captives here, for we already have offended the Lord. And you intend to bring uh, add to our sin and to our guilt for our guilt is great. And there is fierce wrath against Israel. God's going to judge us for this. And so this is what we need to do. And a great fear of God filled them. And so the armed men, they left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. They just left all of it right there, turned around, and they left. And the men who were designated by name, they rose up, took the captives, and from the spoil they clothed all those who were naked among them. So in just an act of humiliating them, they had Uh, immodestly been uh, forced to march from the south to the north. They dressed them, they gave them sandals, they gave them food and they gave them drink and they anointed them. That is, they uh, put oil and and, uh, healing balm in their wounds and they let the feeble ones then ride on the donkeys. And so they brought them to their brethren uh, at Jericho, returned them to Judah there, the city of palm trees, and then they returned uh, to Samaria. And at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. So following this uh, great defeat that he had suffered at the hands of the Syrians and at the hands of the northern kingdom of Israel, he doesn't turn to God. Now, again, it's important. This, uh, much of this history is given to us. In the book of Isaiah. And from there, we learn that Isaiah was telling this guy and telling the people at this time in Judah over and over and over again, calling on them to repent of their sin in order that God might be uh, gracious to them. But rather than repenting and turning from their sin and turning to the Lord, uh, he then turned to the kings of Assyria to help him. And uh, and the reason that he wanted help was because now the Edomites had come. They attacked Judah. They carried away captives. And then the Philistines, they also invaded the cities of the lowland and the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ai-Jalon, Gederoth, Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and not Gizmo, Gimzo with its villages, and they dwelt there. And so here are all these smaller nations surrounding Judah. They see Judah's being defeated. They smell blood. They taste blood. And so they're going to join in. They figure this thing's on its last legs. Let's all get in there to get our piece of the pie before it's too late and they're completely destroyed. And the reason for this uh, humiliated condition was, for the Lord had brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in judah that 's worth underlining, and had been continually unfaithful to the lord and so the reason for not only the two large attacks but these more recent defeats that they had uh, had experienced was because Ahaz had removed all of the restraints uh, moral restraints that keep a society. Uh, decent. And so everything was encouraged, uh, everything except the worship of God, except obedience to God's, uh, word and being faithful in a relationship with the Lord. And that's the culture that we live in. Where everything is encouraged, every ungodly thing. And then what do they fight against with law after law after law and court judgment after court judgment after court judgment? It's as if they think the greatest enemy to the United States of America and the good of the people is people who love the Lord and are walking faithfully with the Lord. So our culture encourages all manner of decadence and protects it and and and. and, And and puts before its population and most importantly, before it's young, that to engage in all of these other activities, however debased they are, this is a worthwhile activity. The only thing that isn't worthwhile engaging in is to walk with God and obey God. That's the world we live in. That's the country that we live in. And that's why uh, in God's grace, perhaps, as happened with Judah. There's a Hezekiah right around the corner that can bring the nation back to that. I don't know. That's in the Lord, in the hands of the Lord. But we noticed that for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah. I'll tell you, I I don't want to I don't want to go there, but. Somebody's got some splaining to do someday before God, it is a serious thing for leaders in government and public education in entertainment to do what is being done to people in this nation. And they're going to stand before God and all of the money that's behind this kind of thing. And God looks at it and he is deeply displeased with it. And it will mean uh, judgment upon any nation that does that, including us, just as it did with Judah. And also Tiglath pileser King of Assyria, Uh, he uh, he came uh, to him and he distressed the southern kingdom of Judah and did not assist him. And so uh, Ahaz took part of the treasures of the house of the Lord from the house of the king and from the leaders. And he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. And so the king took the money and went up and ultimately Assyria did defeat Damascus. And the Syrians, which took some weight off of the southern, uh, took some pressure off of the southern kingdom of Judah at the time. But they didn't do it to help Judah. They did it for their own purposes. And so he gave uh, he gave all of this to the king of Assyria for help. But he did not help him. Now, in the time of distress, I guess so. How low does a guy got to go? It just goes down and down and down and down. So how does he respond to this whole cycle of every every time I make a decision, everything gets worse. What in the world could be wrong? Remember your dad and your granddad. And so he things are getting worse. And so he became he chose to become increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. And uh, So. He wouldn't allow God's chastening to bring him to a place uh, of repentance. And, and so he just continued to go deeper and deeper into sin and, and idolatry. Again, this was not ignorance on his part. He had a godly heritage and also had the voice of, uh, uh, of Isaiah and Micah as well. And for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him. So he figured, wow, the gods of Damascus gave them a victory over me. That must mean that they're greater than uh, than Jehovah. And his reasoning was because the gods of the king of Syria helped them. And I'm going to sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of all of Israel. And so he turns to the gods of uh, Damascus in order to appease these gods that Uh, were supposedly behind the people that had defeated him, which is completely idiotic because Damascus was defeated then by Assyria. So then if you're going to be logical about it, why in the world would I worship the gods of Damascus if they couldn't defend their people from the gods of Assyria? Wouldn't I worship the gods of Assyria? But we're not talking logic here. Uh, This is just the way that sin uh, kind of operates. The fascinating thing about Ahaz here is that he actually thinks that thought that his continual defeat was a proof of the fact that the God of Judah didn't exist or was powerless. So he abandons uh, the God of Judah because his life is continually being defeated when, in fact, His continual defeat and problems was absolute proof that the God of Israel did exist and was chastening him. It's funny how people process life and the conclusions that they come to. Related to the circumstances in their life, I think about how often a person will live a life of sin and then life turns out absolutely terrible as a result of it. And then they'll declare all of this just proves to me that God doesn't exist when, in fact, it proves that God does exist. <laughs> it's just a filter that you're going to run all of that uh, through blaming God and when it's really uh, their fault. And so. He gathered, we're told, um, in in verse 24, the articles of the house of of God. He then, uh, so he completely abandons anything related to the the Lord. He cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and just closed up the temple altogether. Just barred the whole thing up uh, and and really is kind of a, uh, you know, trying to poke God in the eye. It's, it's It's a deliberate Uh, Act of provocation and and, uh, telling God what he thinks of him, closing up the house uh, of of the Lord. And he made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem, filled Jerusalem with idolatry and then not content with that. In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked uh, to anger the God of his fathers. This guy is a hard, hard case. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people praying that something would happen to him and to get him out of the way. And ultimately that happens. And the rest of his acts and his ways from first to last, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And so Ahaz rested with his fathers. And then I want you to notice, and they. You know how people talk about they? They say. Can you identify one of those they's for me? No, it's a secret society. They are all knowing and there's a lot of them. And I only reference them when I agree with them. So here's this group called they. So A has rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem. But they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Israel. And so here is this uh, fact that he wasn't buried among the great kings of Israel, but they decided not uh, to do it because he didn't live a godly life. He wasn't deserving of it. But what it tells us is that there's still a group called they in the land of Judah, people in power in the nation who still had a conscience, who um, possessed this at least kind of a quiet rebellion against the wickedness of Ahaz and the fact that they stood up and said, we refuse to allow this man to be buried among the great kings was an expression of their um, kind of disapproval and protest of the king's reign. And so whenever there's at least some of those people around, you've got hope for change in a nation and uh, That change is going to occur in Judah through his son by the name of uh, Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah, his son, then reigned in his place. Are we at chapter 29 right here? Yeah. So. mm Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just give me another moment, would you? This is good. This isn't going to sound good on the radio, is it? People are, are pounding their computers. Computer went out. We'll stop there tonight. We'll pick up Hezekiah. And uh, just next week with uh, in chapter 29. And just one of the greatest kings in the history of the southern kingdom of Judah. And I don't want to hurry through what he did early in his reign, and why he did it. And, uh, and so, great, great king, and it gives us hope for how quickly something can change uh, when uh, people want that to occur, and the Lord touches people's hearts to do that. So, if Samuel and the worship team would come forward, it would just be fabulous too.